This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. All right, welcome back. 403-974-TALK. As we all know, a few weeks ago, the Liberals introduced legislation to fulfill a promise to legalize marijuana. This is going to be a long process uh, with a completion date of June, or rather July 1st, 2018, expected. We'll see if that happens. Now, you might also remember that the government talked that day about how they were going to address drug-impaired driving. And there were going to be some uh, proposed legal thresholds for having THC in your system and what the penalties might be. But that was in separate legislation. This is all kind of one big package to change Canada's laws to legalize marijuana. But um, there are some specific changes that deal with Canada's impaired driving legislation. And so that's separate from the question of legalization. So in order to put some of these THC thresholds in, that means amending impaired driving legislation, but it goes much further than that. There's some major changes coming to Canada's impaired driving law, and now that we've had some time to assess what those are, a lot of people wondering uh, whether we're going too far. Now, for example, and this has come up before, and this is a pretty controversial idea, the notion of what are essentially random breathalyzer tests. Or taking away that suspicion that an officer must have before demanding that you blow into a breathalyzer. There needs to be that reasonable suspicion. That's going to be gone. Uh, Another change would be the ability for an officer to find you, to come to your doorstep even, two hours after you've yourself arrived home and demand a breath or a saliva sample. Now, the government maintains that this is going to give Canada some of the strongest impaired driving legislation in the world. But does it go too far? All right, well, joining us for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome the program here today, Dale uh, Fedorchuk, who's a defense attorney based here in Calgary. Dale, thanks for making some time for us. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's interesting because... As I said, this is all part of the whole legalization package, and people have been focused on the debate around legalization, how that's going to work. These changes to impaired driving laws have kind of uh, flown under the radar a bit here. I agree. And the one that causes me significant concern is the new offense that's been created, which allows police to essentially go to somebody's home within two hours after they stopped operating a motor vehicle and make a demand for a breath test or a bodily fluid test that would allow them to determine whether someone's impaired by alcohol or drug. Uh, Similarly, if someone has gone to a friend's place or or a a restaurant or something, police have within that two-hour window to make a demand. That is something that's new and I think could represent a very serious infringement on the constitutional rights of people. Well, what could they even do with that information? I mean, uh, if somebody drives home after a long day of work and they're eager to to crack open the fridge and have a few beers um you know there's there's a lot that can happen in two hours so i mean how reliable would that information even be exactly and the further problem is it shifts the onus of proof away from the crown to the defense in in this sense let's say you do come home and decide to have a couple of beers there's a knock on the door the police are there and they're demanding a sample it is up to you as the individual to now prove that not only did you consume your alcohol or drug after you got home, but also you had no reasonable expectation that a demand would be made of you. 
so the onus becomes uh, yours to prove that, yeah, I decided to have a couple of beers, and I knew I wasn't driving again, so that's why I thought no one was going to make a demand for me, which, when you think of it, it's a bit of a ludicrous situation. Well, it is, right? It's, it creates all kinds of problems, you would think. Um, it seems inevitable that some of this is going to be challenged, too, but we, we may end up with this period where we're going to have a number of cases uh, before this even gets challenged, so it's, it's going to create quite a mess, it seems. It, it will. As you know, one of the concerns of the Supreme Court of Canada has been the delay that it takes a case to get to trial. There's been decisions in the cases of Jordan and Williamson, and a lot of publicity has arisen as a result of cases being dismissed. This new legislation is going to increase the burden on the courts. There are going to be constitutional challenges. As I've said to other people, this new legislation begs for a constitutional challenge. The other problem is they're planning on taking away the curative treatment provisions currently in the criminal code. And briefly, what that means is if you're an alcoholic in need of treatment, you can apply for a discharge. So instead of being convicted for the criminal offense of impaired driving, you could actually go through a period of rehabilitation and treatment, at the end of which, if you complete it successfully, the discharge becomes absolute and you don't have a criminal record. If you take that away, and the proposed legislation plans on taking that away, that means someone charged with impaired driving, even if they have no criminal record, regardless of the consequences it could have on their careers and their lives, are now faced with not having the ability to uh, deal with that case without a criminal record by taking a rehabilitative step. A lot more cases are going to go to trial because the legislation has slowly over the years stripped away the ability to resolve these things without a criminal record. Well, I mean, here in Alberta, that has additional consequence, too, because of provincial legislation. Anyone who has that kind of a charge hanging over them, their license is suspended until the matter is resolved. Exactly. So, again, we're back to a situation of are we assisting the courts with this legislation? I don't believe we are. I think that we're seeing a, going to see a logjab of offenses that are going to be going to trial with numerous constitutional challenges, challenges dealing with privacy in the home. Uh, challenges dealing with the constitutionality of making a demand um, based on a certain set of circumstances. And, of course, this this um, removal of the ability to be able to get a discharge if you're a person in need of treatment. I think that the parliament uh, should be looking at rehabilitative measures rather than increasing measures to make the law stricter and more onerous on people. If the emphasis was more on rehabilitation, than deterrence and punishment, I think that maybe you might see some inroads in the whole problem of drinking and driving. Well, and a change that goes hand-in-hand hand with this, I mean, if people are going to have police officers knocking on their door, uh, asking them to take a breathalyzer, you would think that they would have some suspicion beforehand, but I guess this is going to take away that, that need for any kind of prior suspicion. The police could ask anybody to, to provide what? a breath sample. The difficulty is, how do the police get to the door? Well, we don't know. Sometimes they're tipped off. Sometimes they're following the vehicle home. You know, regardless of the circumstances, the very fact that the police are coming to the door, the police have no right currently under our law to enter someone's home, except if they have a search warrant, an arrest warrant, if there's exigent circumstances like a frantic 911 call, or if they're in hot pursuit. In this particular case, the question would be raised, do they have the ability to enter into a home to effect an arrest or to effect a demand for a breath sample? And again, another infringement of someone's privacy rights. Well, and, and someone texted to give the example that 
I mean, we don't want uh, somebody's home to become, uh, you know, a get out of jail card. That if there's someone who seems clearly impaired, there have been numerous 911 calls, police respond, that if the driver can somehow make it to his home, that he's that he's free, that there's no issue anymore. We don't want to give people that out necessarily, but how do we strike that balance? And that's the problem, striking that balance. I would suggest that those types of situations are more rare than the typical situation. The typical situation is police pulled somebody over at a check stop or as part of a traffic initiative, and then there's a determination made through a approved screening device that perhaps that person needs to take a breathalyzer. That's the normal situation. There are rare situations where police follow up by going to the residence to discover the person already home. And I think given the rarity of those situations where someone has managed to get home and they were impaired, I think that you are overbalancing the situation by giving police powers to just knock on your door within two hours and, and arrest you for impaired operation after ceasing to operate the vehicle. When it comes to then random breathalyzer, I think this is essentially what we're talking about. I mean, does that constitute a violation of what is Section 8 of the Charter, what deals with reasonable search and seizure? I know there was a a case that went to the Supreme Court almost 10 years ago involving the random use of drug-sniffing dogs. Is there any parallel here, do you think? From what I've seen of the legislation, I am not sure that Parliament has taken away the requirement for reasonable suspicion. The wording that I have seen suggest that the reasonable suspicion standard still has to be there. If that is not the case, if the legislation in its final form comes out and says that police can simply make a demand for a breath sample um, and again infringe on your personal privacy or your personal integrity, I do believe that that would run afoul of our existing law. And again, another constitutional challenge might arise. Uh, The Supreme Court of Canada has made it very clear that people have individual privacy rights, and the Supreme Court is, is prepared to protect those rights. Yeah, just reading some of the background. So it says a proposed mandatory alcohol screening provision would allow, uh, would authorize law enforcement officers who have an approved screening device at hand to demand breath samples of any driver they lawfully stop without first requiring that they have a suspicion that the driver has alcohol in their body. So I think it's referring to check stops that someone has been lawfully and legally stopped and pulled over, right. uh, that they can, they can demand a breath sample at that point. And again, if that actually makes its way into the physical wording of the legislation, I have a problem with that because there have to be certain checks and balances on police powers. I do not agree with giving the police a tremendous amount of power that is not subject to the scrutiny of the courts. We have very well-defined standards set by cases that identify what is a reasonable suspicion and what is not. And I do have a concern about an expansion of police powers that leads to the discretion solely in the hands of the officers. Right. And I mean, the, the argument that impaired driving is a problem, I mean, that's a compelling argument. We recognize that it is, but we could say that about a lot of things. That, that doesn't justify then what are essentially shortcuts in, in law, does it? I agree with you. And indeed, if we have strict drinking and driving laws, which we do now, we have minimum punishments, we have people losing their licenses until they go to court. If we look at all of the punishments and deterrent provisions that we have put in place, if that is not affecting social change, 
we're in 2017. There's a lot of advertising about drinking and driving. There's a lot of public awareness about drinking and driving. We have these laws that are put in place. If that is not working, then I suggest we're looking at the wrong approach. The approach should be on rehabilitation. The approach should be an emphasis on if people are getting involved with the law in terms of drinking and driving, let's get them into a rehabilitation program paid for by the government so that people don't have a reason for not going because they can't afford it. If the focus shifts over to rehabilitation, I think that we will have a lot more success at reducing the amount of drinking and driving offenses than we currently do with the punishments we have in place. Yeah, well, that's a great point. Well, this is going to require a lot of scrutiny going forward. Dale, thanks for highlighting some of these concerns for us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, take care. Dale Fedorchuk, a defense attorney based here in Calgary. Uh, So some of the concerns he and others have pointed to in these uh, proposed changes by the liberals, which, as we said at the outset, have kind of flown under the radar here. This has been more about the marijuana aspect of all of these changes. Where's marijuana going to be sold, even when it comes to driving? What about marijuana-impaired drivers? And we haven't really noticed how sweeping some of these changes are. So the example somebody gave on the text line, I mean, it's, it's a good one, yeah. If someone is driving home from the bar and people see what clearly seems like a, a wasted guy behind the wheel and he's swerving all over the place and numerous people are calling 911, if that guy can somehow make it to his home, is he, is he fine? Is he free? Is he good? Is there nothing the police can do at that point? We're talking about a two-hour window here. That's a very long time. That's not like five minutes after. You know, police finally get to his home and he's been there for a few minutes. I mean, two hours. And then to have that, that the burden of proof shifted around. That it's on the accused then to prove uh, that they were not drinking while they were driving home and that the drinking occurred after they got home. Right, so... As one of the stories points out here, it says currently drivers can avoid fines or a criminal conviction by claiming they consumed alcohol just before or during driving and thus were not over the legal limit at the time they were driving because the alcohol was not yet fully absorbed. They can claim it was only later at the time of testing that they reached an illegal blood alcohol concentration. So the government says they're trying to close that loophole by changing the time frame from at the time of driving to within two hours of driving. So, yeah, they can show up at your door and demand a breath sample. All right, what do you make of all of this? 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. All right, welcome back. 403-974-8255. Section 8 of the Charter says everyone has the right to be secure against unreasonable search or seizure. Section 9 of the Charter says everyone has the right not to be arbitrarily detained or imprisoned. So, does this come into play if we're going to allow for essentially random breathalyzers? You're driving home from work, you haven't had anything to drink, should be immediately obvious to the officer. Uh, But instead of getting waved through a check stop, you're told to get out of your vehicle. You're told to provide a breath sample. Now you're providing uh, a breath sample that falls under search and seizure and you are being detained, albeit for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. But is it arbitrary? Why are they detaining you? Why are they stopping you? Why are they demanding that you provide a breath sample? What have you done? What's their suspicion that you have done anything? Well, they're not going to need it. 
Is it worth it in order to deal with the problem of impaired driving, or is it a distraction? Let's go to the phones here. This is uh, Rob. Rob, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rob. Uh, listen, I, I, of course, don't have the answers for uh, solving the drunk driving um, problem, but um, um, I was just going to share a, a personal experience where um, clearly someone got away uh, clear and free, and it, and it was just appalling to me. Um, I uh, There was a drunk driver that came down my street, um, clearly just completely impaired yeah. out of his tree, you know, and, and uh, came down and totaled my truck, crashed into the park, skidded around the park, crashed out of the park, hit the, you know, went down the street and, and hit a mailbox and his tire is gone. Well, he crawled home uh, in my community. Um, now, thankfully, I had my vehicle uh, taken care of and repaired. But uh, uh, when I was dealt with the uh, uh, the officer on the matter, he says, yeah, there's nothing you could do. Uh, they wouldn't even try to prove that he was in the driver's seat uh, at the time. And, he, and, and this was clearly someone that was, uh, you know, he was a killer in the community. And uh, so um, I know this isn't really related to what we're talking about, but uh, uh, I know that uh, there, there should be some, um, uh, you know, ar- arbitrary measures to, to, you know, get the right people off the road when they're drunk. Yeah, well said. Appreciate the phone call. Let's, uh, let's get another Rob in here. Rob, go ahead. Hey, Rob. The, uh, the notion that your guest was saying that police can't come to your home this day and age to demand anything without a warrant is laughable. That's the way the gun laws work right now. Yeah, I suppose so. Yep. You know, they can they can come knock on your door at any time and demand to see that you have the guns you say you have, that you have the license to say you have, and that they're stored properly. And they can do that without a warrant. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, Rob, appreciate the phone call. we got to take another quick break here. Uh, we'll come back with more, though, right after this. All right, welcome back. 403-974-TALK. Uh, just uh, further to the Jimmy Kimmel thing, I had a text here. It says, I get where he's coming from. My son was born six weeks early and a rough calculation of the cost of him being in the NICU for 20 days, plus all the follow-up visits, plus all the in-home care. It's about $100,000, probably even more than that. Couldn't imagine going through all the stress of having a premature baby, adding on to it, thinking, how am I ever going to pay this bill? Canadian healthcare may have its issues, but at the end of the day, I owed $0 for that healthy baby and for countless hours of help. Right. I mean, I would think in the United States, especially when it would come to surgery, it would be a case of, we got to do the surgery, let's do it, we'll figure out the rest later. Does that mean then declaring bankruptcy, losing your house? What does that mean? So that would be scary. Uh, all right, let's go to the phones here as well. Some time for your calls. we got uh, Denise on the line. Denise, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm calling about um, the call, or uh, the speaker you had on the phone earlier, the lawyer, about the impaired driving. Right, yeah. I have a question to ask him, I guess, is where would he ever have read that the police would want to enter your home and um, issue a breath demand? I don't I haven't seen that in the legislation at all. Mandatory breath screening is either roadside. Uh, If an officer does go to your home, it's because one, you've left the scene of a crash and they know where you live and they need to get the details, or um, uh, someone has called 911 to report an impaired driver. 
and then they, if they have to go to your home and give you a warning or talk to you about somebody called. But I have not read in the legislation that they can go to your home and enter and issue a breath demand. Well, yeah, they, they can demand a breath sample within two hours of driving. But, but not after you've gotten out of your car, gone in your home. Yes. The police won't do that. It, it, yes. It's just not going to happen. It's not well, in the legislation. Okay, this I, is I off. Have, let me read to you. This is off the government's yeah. own website, okay? Yeah. The proposed yeah. legislation would change the time frame in which an officer, uh, w- w- rather, which an offense of over 80, over the legal limit, can be committed. Instead of being over 80 at the time of driving, the offense will be at or over 80 within two hours of driving. Yes. So but within two hours of getting out of your vehicle, going home, going wherever... Within two hours, they've got a two-hour window to demand a breath sample from you. So, yes, they can do that at your door. It, it, you know what? That's very wide open. However, that is not going to happen. It, that's not what that legislation is saying. And what, it, what we also need to remember is that sometimes at roadside, um, they, if you show... Uh, on the on the breathalyzer that in fact you uh, or on the roadside breathalyzer you you blow a fail then you've got take it you're given more uh, testing you're taken in and then you're you know all all of the details the charges etc happens but they're not going to go to your home after two hours or an hour and a half and demand a breath test because it, it, it just can't happen because as you said they're either you could have gone home, you could have drank yourself to pieces, like the guys. Were right, but then, they, but the other side of it is, it shifts the burden of proof because now it's up to that individual to try to prove that they consumed that alcohol after they stopped driving, after they got home, or after they went into wherever. So yeah, it's I, now I, on the accused. So it's, it's not only the, the concern uh, that this is going to be open to abuse, but the concern now that we're shifting the burden of proof here. It's not up to the Crown anymore to demonstrate that the accused is guilty. It's almost as though the accused now has to prove that he's not guilty. I, and I know what you're saying, but nowhere do I ever read anywhere that the officer will go to your home and deba- demand uh, the, the, a breath sample. What we're talking, what there's things being put in here by the criminal lawyers, and I'm going to say we're out to stop it. it people in this country want to stop impaired driving before it happens. Right? This yeah, everybody and, does. Yeah, Everyone and, wants to stop impaired driving, right? But okay, but the, so if you want to the, defend this, that's fine. But to, to suggest it's not there, it, it's just not accurate. Yeah, I I don't believe I honestly don't believe that the officer would go to your home, go in the house, and okay, issue but a breath demand. Are you saying and would or could? Would no. I, there's I there's a difference between would or could. So would, I'm just trying to clarify right. your argument here. That's right, and that's what I'm trying to say here is that um, would could they? Yes, but would they? It's, we know that they're not going to do that because they can't prove once a person has entered the home or they've gone back in a vehicle at a crash site where they've uh, chosen to have something to drink before the police gets there. We know then that they can't be proven. But they don't have How, to. That's the point. They don't have to prove it. It's up to the accused to prove otherwise. Well, and they shouldn't have been behind the wheel in the first place, right? But, what but, if, they, but if they weren't at all impaired behind the wheel, that, then that's not really an argument. And, well, chances are you're not going to 
cause a crash, then get in your vehicle and drink. But there's right? nothing about I mean, causing I- a crash here. Pardon? There's nothing about causing a crash. This has nothing to do with whether someone's caused a crash or not. Right. We're not, we don't even have to go that far to talk about a crash. We can have to talk somebody that's just driving impaired, right? Well, someone we- accused of driving impaired, right? You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're starting from the premise that they're guilty of driving you know, uh, under the influence. The point here is that the state is accusing someone of a crime. And what is that based on? Well, when you're talking about an officer going to someone's home, they're only going there because someone has either left the scene of a crash or it's been reported that the person has been driving impaired. Like your other caller said, the guy driving down the street that hits all kinds of things. Then the police have the right to go to the door because... Well, they already do, though. Well, they can go to the door. They yeah. do go to the door. But they're not, I don't believe they're going and issuing a breath demand. Not at all. And I believe that that lawyer has put those ideas out there so that people will question even more. I know that when you look around uh, at other countries and you see what mandatory breast screening does by reducing um, impaired driving, fatalities, and injuries, the criminal lawyer system, they're going to lose money when people don't end up going to court because they know... I don't know that, that it has either, though, Denise. I wrote about this well, a few years ago. They brought in yeah. random breath testing in New Zealand, and it didn't have any kind of measurable impact on, on oh, impaired absolutely. driving. It sure it did. Sure it did. But the fatalities and injuries and the co- and the people driving impaired, it does reduce... Well, that's fine. It's well, been look, proven. Okay. But we, well, let's also be clear about what's changing. So there is now a two-hour window, and they're also proposing to take away the requirement of a reasonable suspicion. So police don't need a suspicion to demand somebody blow into a breathalyzer, and police have a two-hour window after that's somebody's right. been driving to demand that's a breathalyzer. Right. So but, the, but these are two actual changes. So, Denise, I mean, but you're on the one hand defending the them, but on the other hand suggesting that they're not in the legislation. No, no, I'm saying it's in the legislation. I'm not saying that a policeman entering your home, and that's, that's the fear thing that has come out in that conversation with the lawyer this morning. That was the fear thing, to make people think, well, they can't just come into my home and do that, and they can't. They won't do that. They can come to your door and demand a breath sample. That, that, if That's fine. If we want to defend that as a way of protecting society, then go ahead. But that's, that's an actual change here. And we're talking about roadside breath testing. We're talking about mandatory breast screening. And yes, it will mostly be at a roadside check stop. Or if, you know what, an officer's not just going to pull you over because, oh, I like the color of your car. I want to see what the interior is like. They can. They're not going to do that. No, but hang on. But an officer can pull any vehicle over at any time if they want. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Okay. So you just, okay. So they can do that. So then we should be afraid of everything, right? No, but. Well, okay, but A, they can, and B, they they can demand a breast sample without suspicion, then, if this change goes through. Yes, they can. Okay, all right, well, let's, okay, but But let's be honest, then, about what's what's changing here. Yes, they can. However, I think when you you look at um, the, the other countries that have it, the reason that it's coming in, the reason that it, you know, that they've tabled, they put it on the table, is so that we can reduce... I think there are other ways we can do that without something that's going to be so vulnerable to a charter challenge and going to tie up the courts for years. So that's a big issue. Denise, I got got to let you go. I'm late for a break here, but I appreciate the conversation. Sure, we shall. Absolutely. All right, there you go. Uh, Anyway, like I said, we're late for a break here. We're back after this.
Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.